So we are going to be in the book of Galatians. We're going to continue our march through that book. We have been going verse by verse through the entire book, and it's been awesome. As you can see, the, um, the main portion of this particular theme is grace changes everything. That's the title of the overarching sermon series. Today we're going to be in Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be going through verses 13 through uh, 25. And uh, we're going to be closing out the, the second half of the book. Um, this particular title, if you're into that thing, is Legalism, License, and Liberty. I couldn't get away from the else. I just had to keep going. Uh, legalism, License, and Liberty. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Ryan do a masterful job of explaining why uh, we are not to be caught up in legalism and why it was a detriment to our walk with Jesus Christ. And that word legalism is just being a person who's more interested in the rules of God than actually walking with God. I'll give you the case in point. I'm, I'm more concerned about how I look in my Christian walk versus how I act, actually am in, internally. And so just you guys understand, you could come in here and you could raise your hands in worship. And you could make a lot of, you could pull out five different highlighter pens and highlight your Bible and take a lot of notes, and yet your life could be a wreck. And we wouldn't know that, but who knows it? Jesus Christ, yeah, God, he knows it. And so um, that's the point of legalism. Well, we're going to move into a place where it's called about license, and license is the freedom I think that I have to sin because I have the grace of God. Basically, what Paul has been doing is been questioning this, and I, and I want you to hear it. I wrote this in my devotions when I was studying the book of Galatians, when they, um, Pastor Craig said, we're going to go through Galatians on the weekend. So I read through it, and I wrote this in my devotions, and I want to challenge you with it today. It says, what would your life look like if you were completely free from sin? If you didn't struggle with sin at all, what things would be different about you, about your life, and everything about around your life, right? Then I put, followed up with this question. What would your life be like if you were completely filled with the Holy Spirit at every level? What would be different about you? What would you step out into with boldness? What would you refrain from doing? What would you by no means um, be scared to do with God and, and follow him wherever he goes? Like when uh, me, I'm always having this problem, like when I'm at the grocery store, so you can hear that, you know, it's Pastor Joey. Oh, he's up there. He must just do Christian stuff all the time and everything must be amazing. The Lord always is like, when I go to the grocery store, like talk to this lady. And I'm like... There's like five people behind me, you know, and they all look like they're ready to go, you know, and the Lord's like talking. I'm like, oh, I hate being that guy that holds up the line. And I'm like, I struggle with it. But the Lord's like, go. But I want to say, Lord, if you're with me, I'll go and I'll go. And everything just falls into place. And it's not by me. It's not by my power. It's by his setup. It's by his power. And so you have to ask yourself, and that's what Paul is doing inside of the book of Galatians. The first four chapters was him saying, we cannot earn our own salvation. In fact, the very thing that God presented to us is that we needed God. And that came to us by the Spirit. Nobody woke up and was like, you know what? Everything's going great in my life. I need to find out that I'm going to hell and I need a Savior. No one just invented that on their own. That was a presentation by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, but what has been revealed by the Spirit. So my salvation came by the way of the Spirit. And so Galatians chapter 5 and 6 does a great job of unpacking, now that I am saved, what do I do next? What does life look like next? Especially when life doesn't go perfect. So join me in Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, and we will walk through this together. Verse 13, it says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
but do, do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you'll be destroyed by each other. Uh, this is kind of an interesting point of view to walk away because he's saying there's two sides to the nature of man and there's a lot of pitfalls. Every time that we get close to God and walk with God, we understand, we'll look at the very beginning, it says, you, my brothers and sisters. That's not just the people of the churches of Gaul or Galatia. That's you in this room right now. You, my brothers and sisters in Calvary Chapel, Sebastian, were called. You didn't promote yourself. You were called by God into freedom. But he says in here, do not... Uh, use your freedom to indulge in the flesh or have license to do whatever you want because you will not serve one another in love. Why? Because you're led by your self. And then he goes on to say this, the entire law is fulfilled, not gotten rid of, not destroyed. It's fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you don't do that, you know what's going to happen? Your selfishness will drive you to bite and devour each other because at a certain point you'll say this, either I'm so self-righteous and you are not, so we're going by my standard of righteousness, not God's standard of righteousness, you're not good enough. So I've just destroyed your hope. On the flip side of it, if I live by my desires, my desires will consume me and you to the point that you'll get destroyed. If you have not found hope in sin and I'm living for sin, guess what? You are running up against me. You're like, I'm looking for Jesus, and you know, I want you to live by my sin. And we don't do that here at church, do we? We're actually rescued from our sin to Jesus Christ. There's a really good point to kind of show this kind of tension that we enter into when we walk into our, our Christian living. Look at this picture up on the screen. It says, the fine line of walking in the freedom. I want to show you this. This is the tension that we walk into. Sometimes people uh, think when we get saved, we become Christian Jedis and we just float into every room and the Holy Spirit does everything for us and everything sunshine and roses. No, but there is a tension that's built into our relationship with the Lord and the world because they run contrary to each other. This particular picture is going to kind of uh, show you the example of that. I, I have a wife who can drink a pot of coffee and go to sleep like that. I, on the other hand, if I smell coffee, I'm up for three days. So it takes me forever to go to sleep. So what do I do? I always look at weird things when she falls asleep because she's gone to bed. I can't talk to anybody. So I looked up the 10 coolest places to go hiking in the world. And at the very bottom of the article, it said the 10 most deadliest places to go hiking in the world. And I was like, of course, I need to stay up for that. I could go to bed, but I clicked it. And this is one of the top ones. And in this particular place, you can see there's just this skinny little trail that you can hike. On the left side, there's nothing but jagged rocks and stones that lead you all the way down to the bottom, which I'm hoping that if you did fall, you didn't survive because there's no hospital anywhere nearby. On the right-hand side, there's something else. Now, you can look and see it looks like a smooth, sandy drop. But if you notice over here in the side here, you see that puff of smoke? That's right. There's a volcano on that side. So you can say this in your particular life. Well, there is this tug of war and there's this tension and then you have to be prepared that as you are walking this higher path that the Holy Spirit has called you on, if you veer to the left or you veer to the right, you have missed the mark. 
And the reason why is because we ourselves, our body, our flesh, the world wants to drag us off that path. I was in Publix the other day trying to pick up some stuff, and this lady, I guess she, I thought she was looking at her grocery list, but she ran full on straight into me. Even if I said, miss, 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 she just crashed right into me. And she went, oh, I'm so sorry. I was looking at my phone. I said, yeah, just watch out. You'll be okay. She turned and walked right into a display. Now, if she is not paying attention and she's on this hike, she ain't doing so good. <laughs> Thus is the pitfall in the place that we are in our walk with Jesus Christ. What God has called us out of, we have to pay attention. We have to see where the Spirit is leading us, which brings us to our next picture. Now, this is going to show how you see this spiritually. On the one side, you have legalism. That's, that's the, the, the speech that we've gone through um, in the past already. And it's, you know, it's kind of fun, right? Let's, let's be real. If you have any amount of grace in your life, it's really easy to pick on the legalists and the Pharisees, right? It's kind of fun a little bit, right? To poke at people that are just rigid with the rules and go, you're a bunch of Christian Grinches. But you can see Jesus spoke up against this because there's a reason more than that, just being a person that's just a buzzkill and against everything that's happy because we're all stuck on the rules is because they are connected to a yoke of slavery, which we saw in verse 1 of this chapter. The reason why they're stuck in a yoke of slavery, I want to give you a picture. The, the Pharisees at Jesus' time and before Jesus' time were so stuck up in the law and they were so caught up in it, they developed their own self-righteousness because they said, we achieved these rules. But let me tell you what they missed. Jesus would come into the temple on a particular day and heal a man on that day. Now, I'm going to tell you, this man was lame for a long time. He had no use of his legs, and the Lord blessed him. And they said, you can't do that, Jesus. The Pharisees run up. You can't do that. This is the Sabbath. That's not right. Jesus did more than that. He not just healed his legs. What did he do? He forgave him of his sins and then sent him on his way. And you know what? I would tell you, that guy would say, whoa, 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 I don't really care about your Sabbath. What I care about is my relationship with the Jesus who came and found me. If you can't get healed, if you can't get forgiven by Jesus Christ in church, what can you get forgiven? And that's what the Lord is saying right there. He would go on to say this. If your donkey fell in a ditch on the, on, on the Sabbath, you're going to leave it there? You're going to look down and not think about it from the donkey's point of view. I'm sorry it'd be a sin to get you out. That donkey would be like, you get me out of here right now. I don't care what day of the week it is. And that's what the Lord's saying. You're so caught to a yoke of slavery, you're missing the heart of God. Because you're a slave to this facade. You're, you're a slave to this outward righteousness that has nothing to do with the inward righteousness. But look at the heart of your Savior when he came to you. Now, go to the other extreme, license. I have an extreme opportunity to fulfill an impulse in my flesh. I know I'm okay because I have the grace of God. I'll be okay. If I make a boo-boo here and there, everything's okay because the Lord has forgiven me, so I'm free to do what I want. But you know what we would call that inside of love? We would call that abuse. Um, I had a friend a long time ago. Um, that would come, and he would never pick up the check at lunch. He would be like, you know, the lady would be like, oh, do you want me to split this into for two? And he'd be like, no, no, he's got it. I'm like, what in the world? And then he'd be like, you know, can I eat whatever you have and eat? I'm like, what is going on? You want part of my lunch too? Eventually, he mooched so much. I was like, well, you know what today you're getting? You're getting diet water. You know what that you're getting? Because you've abused this relationship. You've taken me for granted. You have not shown that you are invested. And that's where we're looking at here. We're not being following the spirit of God that's pulled us out of this life. And we don't do it because we're fearing penalties or we don't fear penalties. We do it because God loved us so much while we were still sinners. He died for us that we love him back. It's not about a keeping the law or a running away from the law. It's about loving the one who loves you. 
We are slaves to God alone, which brings us to our first point. Spirit-led freedom is freedom to follow God wherever he goes. Just think about the Pharisees. They were not free to follow Jesus Christ into the healing and the blessing and the forgiveness of this man because they were yoked to the slavery of just doing things outwardly. This is what I look like outwardly. This is how good I am. I, I, I go to church. I tithe. I take notes. Have you seen how many highlighters I used on the Bible? I had my arms raised. I even did this on my chest a couple times during the song. People looked and they saw. They knew how holy I was. But then you go home and your life's a wreck. Or on the other side, and you know these particular Christians, when you meet these Christians where you're like, they're just not living for the Lord and they feel like they have all the fun on the planet. They get to go and do all the things that you refuse to do because you don't want to hurt the Lord or you know, grieve this Holy Spirit. But at the same time, you look at me and you go, you're not free because you're driven by the slavery of your impulses. You can't break away. I can quit at any time. And you go, no, that's not true. That's not true. I'm going to ask you this question. If the Holy Spirit wasn't in this church today, how far would this church get? The Holy Spirit's not in you. How far are you going to get in your Christian walk? You have to make space for the Holy Spirit to take you on a path. And even if you're not paying attention, whether it's ignorance or if it's by impulse, you could fall off one side of the cliff or the other. And it would be up to you to say, this, that's my responsibility. My responsibility is to follow where the Lord, and it said in the verse, has called you. Has God called you out of sin? Has God called you out of pride? 100%. How do you know? He nailed all of it to the cross to die. And so that you could live in his blessing. We're called to a different mode. And that's why we always say here at Calvary Chapel, we've been called to this particular life, to love God and love people. You look at the Ten Commandments. The beginning of the Ten Commandments is all about loving God, right? It shows you how to love God. And then the second part of the Ten Commandments is show you how to love other people. And so freedom is not just liberty or, or, or to do what I want, license what I want, but it's I have liberty to not suffer under sin. I have the liberty to not deal with sin. I had a student say this, um, and I thought it was so funny. He said, I mean, it's kind of tragic. On another side, he said, I hate when I sin. And I said, why do you hate when you sin? He goes, because it takes me about three days before I can address God again. And I was like, why do you have to wait three days? And he goes, I, and it's kind of funny when he says this, I wait for the sin to dry off and crust off my heart and fall away before I can look at God because I'm too embarrassed. And I said, that probationary period doesn't exist anywhere except for in your mind. That's a legalistic thing or a license to sin that you had. Now you realize it, that you've caught up. When are you forgiven by Jesus Christ? The moment you ask. It's already been done. It's done on the cross. And so what are you doing? You have to ask yourself, if God is moving me away from something, if God is delivering me from something, like let's say this for me, you guys know that I've told this story in the past. I had a lot of anger in my life. I had a lot of drugs in my life. What happened? I was so caught up in this sin. Why? I was delivered from that. And so Jesus didn't find me and go, you're a very angry young man. Let me prop you up and dust you off and get rid of all the anger. And then go, I hope that works out for you and walk away. Know what he did. He replaced it with peace. But what kind of peace? Joey's kind of peace? No. His peace. And how much more powerful and how much more wonderful and how much higher is God's peace that he leaves with me? Remember in the book of John, Jesus says, peace I give you and peace I live with you. What kind of peace? Heavenly peace. A peace that lasts forever. You see, the Lord has a higher love. He says in the Bible, his, his ways are higher than ours, which means his love is higher than ours, which also means his desires are higher than ours. 
I want you to just stop and just think about this. What is God delivering you from? And what is God delivering you to? Right now, you could be dealing with all kinds of fear. I mean, he could replace that fear with hope and faith. Or maybe he's delivering you from toxic relationships into beautiful relationships. Maybe he's delivering you from all kinds of pain and anger to deliver you right into peace. What kind of peace? His peace. It's always led by him. And you see what's happening in the in-between is the work that's in progress in you. The Bible says, he who began a good work will complete it all the way through to the day of completion until we are standing in front of Jesus Christ. And who's doing that work? Not us. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit are doing that work. And so I just want you to stop and think, when the Lord gets up in the morning with you and he desires for your day to look different, what do you think he desires for you? When God imagines the rest of your life with the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, what does God imagine? You know, I would employ you to think this way. It's probably a lot higher than what you think. You know, sometimes I like to get up in the morning and go, man, it would be really nice to have a Lamborghini, Jesus. And then I just picture Jesus sitting at the other end of the table in the morning while we're having breakfast. Like, I would really think it'd be nice if you weren't so caught up in sin. I think that's way better. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're right. Because your ways are higher than my ways. You see, we're still being delivered today. So if you are in that process, do not feel bad. The Lord has begun that good work. You know why? Because victory is being had every day. I will tell you this in this particular way. I have been delivered. What you are seeing in front of you right now is a person that's no longer caught up in the culture of anger and hatred and drugs and death. And what am I caught up into? I preach the word of life. I am married to a beautiful woman and I've had two beautiful babies. So I could have been a person that was so depressed and caught in suicide. The Lord removed me from that and put me where? Into the culture of eternal life. And he did that work, and he can do that work, and is doing that work in you. Amen, amen. He gets the glory. So we move out of the outwards and into the inwards, and you have to ask yourself, who's the boss? Is the spirit that saved me the boss or my flesh? Who's the boss? My spirit or my flesh? Look at verse 16. Look at what Paul says. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so what he's basically saying is you cannot let the flesh lead, because the flesh will lead you right over into that volcano. And that's not where I want you. He said, the flesh wants to drag you that way, wants to drag you away from me, but my ways are higher. And you have to ask yourself, where am I walking? You know, the moment, even if you're, even if you're struggling with a sin today, say there's a secret sin that you have in your life right now and you're ashamed of and you would want none of us to know. But you know Jesus knows. Jesus knows your browsing history on your internet. Jesus knows what you watched on TV last night. Jesus knows those words that you said. And you know what I do? If you presented that to Jesus right now and you say, Lord, this is not worthy of you, and this is not worthy of me. Did you know you're automatically now walking in step and sync with the Lord just by acknowledging that? Because no conviction would come to you except by the Spirit. Otherwise, you would think that you're justified. And that's why we're walking on two different roads. Either if I'm following my flesh, then I'm going one way. But if I'm following Jesus, I'm going another way. It's kind of like this. If we all got into a car right now and like, let's go to Atlanta, Georgia. And somebody was like, okay, I'm driving. And then they took us down 512 towards the river. You'd be like, where are you going? we got to get on I-95, and we need to go fast, and we need to head that way. Well, guess what? That's you telling Jesus Christ that my desires need to lead. 
my desires need to get us to where we're going. The world would say it this particular way, and I want to let you know, this is a very relevant topic for the world today, is it not? The world says, express yourself, and more good will happen. But the Bible is saying, the more you express yourself, the more you're going to realize how desperately wicked your heart is. And self-expression, apart from God direction, is actually dark. If you look at it, the obsession can be so dangerous because it means I am directly leading myself to heaven with no spirit guide of the Holy Spirit. First of all, do you even know the science behind saving yourself? Like, how does the blood of Jesus Christ, I mean, we know the blood of Jesus Christ comes into our life and cleanses us of our sin and then, and then prepares us and justifies us and sanctifies us and gets us ready for heaven. But do you even know how that works? Like, how that even, I wouldn't even know how that works. All I know is that I pray to the Lord and I receive his forgiveness and I move on, but now I'm going to justify myself before the Lord. It's always poignant to me, um, this standard that, uh, that goes by. I, you guys know I've heard, said this story before, but it's so poignant right now. Um, I had got challenged by a bunch of atheist kids to do a Bible study over at the high school. And I went and we had lunch. And over lunch, we were talking and they were saying to me, you know, God is such a buzzkill. And I'm like, I get it. From your point of view, it is. Personally, I think hell's a buzzkill. But I mean, like, I'm ready, willing to hear you out. So let's hear what you have to say. And they say, you know, well, he just, he has these rigid rules and it makes it really tough for me to follow it. I said, okay, how many rules do you think would be good? Well, we started off at six and by the end of pizza, we made it to four. And it's like, okay, so these four rules are the rules that we should live by. And they said, yeah. And I said, okay, so these are the four that you like and you think this is the standard of good. And they said, yes. And I said, how many have you kept today? And they said, two. I said, how many have you kept this year? And they said, maybe one, maybe zero. We cannot stand before the Lord with our lower standard and go to a higher God and say, Lord, this is the way that it should be when we can't even keep the standard of good ourselves." And that's what he's saying right here. He's like, love transcends all. For us to go higher, we have to reach higher. And what is higher than God's love himself? Love doesn't change or uh, uh, move with the impulses or, or fleeting with the wind. Just think about this. This is how you can do a diagnostic on yourself of what you love and where you're at. What would you do if there was no restraints on your life? If there was no penalty for anything that you did, nobody would judge you, your family wouldn't abandon you, the law wouldn't show up and arrest you. If you had carte blanche to do whatever you want, what would you do? Well, amen to that person. But for the rest of us, just sort of say right now, there could be a point in your life that you're struggling where you say, if I don't have that punishment in front of me, I might do get away with anything I want. I might do what I want. And Jesus Christ would say, that's what puts you in this position in the first place, and that's what nailed me to the cross in the first place, is me saving you from you. And you think about this, with Jesus, omnipotent, omniscient, all-powerful, really, he wrote the rules. What did he do with no restraint? lived for you, died for you, walked you all the way to the end and fulfilled you. And that's why the Lord is saying, you have to check your love. It's not just law, it's love. Look at Matthew 6, 24. It says it this way. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. See, self-expression says this, Lord, if you're not synced up with me, then we're not going the same way. And spirit direction says, God, wherever you go, it's beautiful. I want to go with you. Please lead me. Please, please lead me. And I can tell you, it's, I know it's a difficult road because sometimes it's hard to know you're struggling. You're trying to do the best that you can. You're trying to make God happy. But that's the thing. We got to stop trying and start trusting. I want to give you this picture. I put this in, a, in, in one of my devos early on 
um, this particular one. This is like, this is me trying to follow the Lord. Sometimes it can feel like that, right? How long would you sit there before you would just park the car and just walk away? Like, I don't know where to go. What in the world? But I just want to say this, you know, it's different when you try to follow the signs, you know, like I know I've been down Roseland Road, you know, and I've seen when the cops show up, everybody slams on the brakes. And you know why you're slamming on the brakes? Because you're not following the, the, the love of, of the law. And I would say you know, there's a letter of the law and there's a love of the law. Let me give you the description. This is why Jesus never said, I came to get rid of the law. Jesus never said, I came to abolish the law. He said, I came to fulfill the law. You remember the law was for the protection of everybody else. Let me give you the case in point. I know I'm not the only one to think this. Don't write me or condemn me when I say this, but have you ever been like in a hurry and then you see those yellow flashing lights of a school zone? And you're like, I love the kids, but can we not go 20 right now? I really got to go. I got a place to be. But you hit that thing and you see the little kids on the side of the road and some of their backpacks are bigger than their body and then there's a traffic guard. And you're like, look at this scene, right? This is so beautiful. And they look so happy and they're so excited. And you know what? You know what drives me to slow down? Not the penalty that the policeman will give me. It's the love of those kids. And in that way, we see the fulfillment of the law. And see, this is kind of like the case in point. If you were driving around, I remember one time we were driving over on Main Street. We were trying to get over to, you know, uh, uh, to get out, you know, to go to a restaurant over there. Um, and then somebody must have hit a detour sign because they were doing all that construction over there. And the detour sign got hit, and it looked like everybody was just making a loop. Like, they were just following the detour sign, and I was like, we came right back out where we were at. And I just think about this. How much easier it would be for me to get in the car with a policeman and him direct me around town? Like, you tell me where to go. You tell me what the sign means. You tell me what's up ahead so that I'm not confused. Imagine if not only we had a policeman get in the car and he's telling you, hey, watch out for this. There's a thing. There's an update. There's a construction site. What if also a city planner got in the car? And then the city planner's like, this is the way we designed the city. So you know the streets look like this. The traffic stops look like this. Follow where it goes. Then what if the mayor of the city got in the car? And now all four of us are just communicating on how we're going to get where we're going to get to. I would have the up-to-date information and all the direction. How many of us are doing Christianity without the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? I would sit here and I would say this to you. You know, it's uh, love that derives what we do, but we won't ever know uh, the spirit of the law until we get to meet the lawmaker. Sometimes you have to realize that the lawmaker has not just a heart for you, but for a heart for everybody around you. See, the legalists got this all wrong. The Judaizers, the Pharisees got it wrong. The law never came to save us. It showed us how to treat other people with respect and love. Case in point, do little kids deserve the right to be able to get to school without getting hit by a car? Absolutely. And then the libertines, I love that word libertine. Do you ever hear that like in a swashbuckling movie where the guy's like standing there with a sword and he's like, you libertine? And I'm like, oh, that sounds cool. I had to look it up. It actually means you just disregard the law. You're a terrorist. You're a pirate. So we say for the libertines, it's uh, with grace, I am free to have sin without worry. But the Lord said, you're not free to love me if you're just sinning wildly. You're too worried. Like that kid says, I have to go through this grace period uh, where I have to let the sin fall off me before I can go to the Lord. But think of if you lose three days with the Lord, how much have you lost? How much direction have you lost? Love shows you how to live in every single way and every situation because you're driven for love for the person and everything about them. Law pushes you to perform. License pushes you to ignore. 
Love is not a performance. Love is for us to reach higher for the amount of love that we have for that person because of who we are. Let me give you this case in point. There's this crazy movie um, called Moonstruck. And there's this scene in the movie. I know it's a ridiculous movie. But there's this one scene. It always sticks out to me. There's this guy that's trying to get this woman to have an affair with him. And she says, no. And he says, why not? And she says, because I know who I am. What she's really saying is she says, you know who I am? I'm a woman who loves my husband. And I made a covenant with my husband. And I don't need anything else. So I'm walking with him forever. How much different would the world be if the Christians in this room and all the churches said, I know who I am and say no to sin? I'm in love with the, with the Messiah that loves me, and I've made a covenant, and I walk with him forever. I don't need you, sin. Our life would be different because, see, she was not guided by the penalty of making a mistake, and she wasn't, like, looking to abuse. You know what she was doing? She was driven by love. I'm guided to be free from the worry of the law because I'm driven by love. I don't get a speeding ticket because I love the children too much to even speed through that area. I love Jesus too much to break his heart from the sin. Do I still break his heart from time to time? But it's by grace that he walks me on that path. Now, what if I am driven by the flesh? Look at verse 19. There is a result that comes up. It says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. Tell me what kind of a Christian this looks like. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Idolatry. And you can say, well, at least we're not idolatrous. Anybody that loves himself more than they love the Lord is idolatrous. Witchcraft, which, by the way, is closer to the word pharmakia, which is where we get the word pharmacy. Some people say, that I can't believe how many druggies we have today. Drug use to seek the divine was somebody, something that people have done all throughout history. This is not something new. But look what they're looking for. They're, re- they're trying to reach God through drugs when then God is right there in front of them. How silly is that? Now look at what it equals to. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions or factions. Think about that. That's disunity. We don't have any problem like that in the church today, right? No, because we don't live in the flesh, right? Enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. Now look at the warning. This is, remember, he's writing this to a church. He's writing this to Christians. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not. Will not. That's the warning. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because you are self-centered. There is no spirit at the center of you. You are doing all of these works out of selfishness. The technical term is carnal Christian, but a Christian that's caught up in your flesh. And some people would say that that's not a Christian at all. Why? Because I'm walking dangerously close to not being spirit-led at all. I'm devoid of conviction. What else am I also doing? I'm not experiencing liberty because I'm not free to follow the Lord because I'm so yoked to my impulses that I can't go where God goes because I'm stuck to my sin. So when my sin goes this way and Jesus goes this way, I have been dragged this way, away from him. We have to make a choice. And that's why it's so useless. It has no place in the kingdom of God. Think about this. When we get to heaven, why is heaven going to be so amazing? Yes, because we will be in the presence of God. And yes, our Savior will be right in front of us. But there will be no sin. Imagine the news today if there was no sin. How boring it would be for the newscasters. You ever see when they run out of things to report on? You know it's a slow news day when something happy pops up. 
They're like, oh, it must be in a slow news day. They put a squirrel on a jet ski or something like that. And they're all like, oh, look how cute that is. They're like, this squirrel or not. And you're like, oh, it must be a slow news day. Nobody must have gotten killed. And nobody must have gotten hit by a car. And nothing corrupt must have happened because they put this in there. But imagine the news. Imagine the world. Imagine your life with no sin. Now, Paul says, yeah, it looks a lot like this. Look at verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Now, what it doesn't say is a bunch of perfect Christians. What it doesn't say is people who didn't do anything wrong ever. What it says is a bunch of people who took the sin, who took the passion for the dark things of this world, and what? Crucified them. So what does that mean? It means crucify the flesh looks a lot like this. Look at this, Mark 8.34. It says it right here on the screen. Mark 8.34 says this. Then he called the crowd to him with the disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple, which means whoever wants to get that good work done in them, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. And what is he, what are we denying ourselves? Going off either side of the cliff. How many lives have been ruined by the sin in 19 through 21? Just think about this. David was the apple of God's eye. And in one night, he committed about all of these sins. And what did it do? About split the kingdom. About ruined his life. David was a, a man after God's own heart, and he saw another man's wife, and he coveted her. He called her to the palace. He had an affair with her. And then he had her husband killed because she was pregnant, and he tried to cover it up, and the husband wouldn't go along with it, so he had him murdered. Sin upon sin upon sin. What would you say David B. would be on, on that top on that high path? It would be tumbling down into the volcano. And it's all because he fulfilled a selfish desire. It may have started it off small. Maybe he just looked and he looked at her and she was washing on top of the, the top of the, uh, the, her building right there. And he just looked at her and he coveted one, one sin down, one commandment broken. And then he had an affair with her, so he stole. And then he murdered. And then he lied. See how it all just comes in? And then what happened? Well, did good come out of that? No, it just revealed the wickedness in his heart. But when he got before the Lord on his knees and he repented and he said, Lord, you're white. You've always been good. I have not been good. Then came love. Then came joy. Then came peace. Why? Because he had to take up his cross and follow the Lord. In fact, what you look at in verses 20 through 25 is you see Jesus Christ. Was Jesus Christ not chock full of everybody of this? That's why John would say that I need to decrease so that the Lord can increase. I asked you in the beginning of this sermon, what would your life look like if you were free from sin? You would look like this, this part, 20 through, 22 through 25. I asked, what would your life look like if you were full of the Spirit? 22 through 25. Imagine if your life was more known for its joy, peace, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control than anything else. And how could we even pretend to get there without the Spirit? I love the way that it's written here. I just want to let you know, I think there's a purpose why uh, Paul led with the evil then ended with the good. It's like we walked out of a garbage heap of sin and we walked into a beautiful orchard. And in that beautiful orchard, when we're there and we're free to enjoy, we realize this, that the Spirit has led us to a place where we can enjoy God's blessings that apart from Him, we could not. 
Which brings us to our next point. Spirit-filled freedom means I'm free to enjoy the kingdom of God fully. And I think there's a reason why God chose fruit. Because fruit takes time to grow. Sin can destroy in a night, but fruit takes time to grow, right? How many people have grown in patience since they've met the Lord? How many people have grown in joy since they met the Lord? How many people have grown in kindness since the Lord has taken hold of your life? I, you know, we have this, uh, this bush on the side of our house. It's called an oleander plant. And people always like to tell me, because it's on the side of our house, but our kids play in the front. You're like, don't let your kids touch it. It's very toxic to kids. So if I tell you oleander, I've already been told it's toxic to kids. My boys know they're not allowed to touch it. But when we first moved in the house, it looked really ugly. Ugly. It was really raggedy. It was spotted and everything. So I went in there with some, some, some clippers, and I clipped off everything that was dead. And then I forgot about it for about a week and a half, and the rains came. And next thing I came out, there was branches in all directions, flowers on top of the whole thing. It was gorgeous from when I found it. And I was thinking about, man, if you just cut away the dead stuff, the, the live stuff just comes thriving through. And just think, how much pruning does the Lord need to do in your life to make way, to get rid of the dead, to let the live flourish? Right now, the Lord is working on your life to make room for the goodness and the sweetness that he wants to do. And then also look at this fruit. One fruit, nine flavors. One fruit, nine flavors. I don't think even Willy Wonka was able to accomplish that. <laughs> just think about that. And we definitely know with the everlasting gobstopper, the first flavor was not biblical sacrificial love. What was the first flavor before we got to any of the other flavors? Love. Out of love comes everything else. You can't have peace without love. You can have joy without love. You can have kindness or, or gentleness or self-control without love. How many arguments are stopped by love? How many wars are ended because of love. I'm talking about internally between us and the Lord. How many times have we been overcome by the love of the Lord and sin has left us? It's not by chastisement. It's not by brutal hammer. It's not by punishing us and locking us up. It's by love. And that's why he says in there in the verse, he says, against such there is no law. And if we were real with ourselves, I just want to ask ourselves, is there any part of verses 19 through 21, was there any sin worth losing the kingdom of God over? Is there any sin worth losing Jesus Christ over? And you think about it as if we were to tumble off the side of that cliff and go down to the volcano. I think the deepest, darkest thing for us spiritually is to have this moment. You know what hell really is? It's not fire. It's not brimstone. It's not anything other than I no longer have access to Jesus Christ who pursued me daily. The God that never gave up on me is gone. He's cut off. And why? Because I chose myself over him. And see, that's why it also says that against such thing there is no law. The law was never the recipe. The law was the result of loving the Lord. The reason why I pick up all the dirty clothes and put them in the hamper, not because I don't want to get in trouble, it's because I love Jackie so much. And I love her smile so much. And I love to please her more than I worry about the penalty. And love drives me, not penalty. I just want to say this right now. You have to ask yourself this very simple question. Today, am I self-centered or am I spirit-centered? Matthew 10, verse 39, and we'll close on this, says it in the Amplified Bible this way, and I love the Amplified Bible. It says it, whoever finds his life in this world will eventually lose it through death. 10 out of 10 people will die. And everything that they have will die with them. And whoever loses his life in this world for my sake will find it. That is life with me for all eternity. 
I just want to just ask you, when you look at whatever's here in this earth, how could it ever compare to eternity with Jesus Christ? Can you imagine the person that purchased you on the cross, that paid by his blood, who poured out all the love, loved you more than you loved yourself? Can you imagine meeting his eyes in heaven for the first time? And seeing the expectation on his face to say, I have worked diligently to prepare you for this moment. Spiritual maturity says this, we got to make the right choice because it's the good choice. We are followers of Christ that were revealed to us that we needed Jesus by the Spirit. We will continue in the Spirit. So if you feel like you're off track, all you got to do is go, Spirit, get me back on track. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'm just going to say this one more time. If the Holy Spirit is not moving in your life, how far are you going to make it? If the Holy Spirit is moving full force, how far are you going to make it? All the way to heaven. we got to stop looking at the law and start falling in love with the lawmaker. That is who we are. That is what we made for. And every step of the way, Jesus is here for it, even the ones where we slip and fall. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray this beautiful prayer today. You are good to me, and it's not by my will or by my power, but yours that I am saved. Lord, you had all the power of heaven, and you didn't choose to punish me. You chose to love me. You chose to forgive me. You chose to guide me. You chose to call me out of my sin and lead me away from hell, but what? To leave it to eternity with you. I've been made whole. I am who, I'm yours, blood-bought. Nobody can steal me from your hand. You claim me and I claim you. And today, the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in me. I will let it guide me from here to eternity. I am walking from this life to the next with you because you have chosen me, not I have chosen you. And I'm thankful for that. And I have so much gratitude. And this is how I pray this prayer. Lord, release me. Release me from my sins. Lord, Break the chains. If there's somebody in this room that is struggling with secret sin, Lord, let them lay them at your feet and say, I will get in sync with the Spirit today. I will receive conviction and say, no more. I will let you lead me away from darkness and into light. I will let you lead me away from death and into life. Whatever I once was, I'm no longer. I've been remade and born again and cast in your image. I have been washed white as snow. Why? Because you have said so. And Lord, if you have the power to say, let there be light, you can look into my heart, you can look into my soul and say, let there be life. You have that kind of power, you have that kind of grace, you have that kind of love. And I make this choice today. I choose you. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen. (laughs) 